0: Help us, Almighty God, on this Ash Wednesday to eat the ashes, in Jesus' name, Amen. You may know that there is a very nasty stomach bug that's going around. It recently chose me. Uh, And everyone in my family except Cora, Uh, either we are all the elect or she is, I'd like to think she is, but uh, I recently found a homeopathic remedy. Uh, that actually takes care of the uh, infection or virus or whatever it is quite swiftly and tends to uh, take it out of your system quite easily. And it's actually called activated charcoal, ashes, basically. Uh, You eat it in pill form and it it creates what they call adsorption, adsorption with a D, uh, meaning that kind of ashen compound has uh, very coarse edges to it and it tends to Uh, attract and attach itself to all of the kind of diseased material in your system, and essentially flushing it out of your system. Now I swear by this stuff, I want to buy stock in the company, I want to give it all to you as like little gifts so you get hooked, Um, but I think it works, I think it works, and more than that, it provided me with a great Ash Wednesday opener, and I'm really (laughs) grateful for that. That is, I like the metaphor of eating the ashes, that is, taking the very rough, coarse truths of Ash Wednesday and internalizing them, not just ritualizing them or using them in some sort of religious pageantry, but actually internalizing the truths that this holiday represents and tries to communicate, because Jesus Christ was always and consistently about the internalization of truth. The Sermon on the Mount, in fact, that we read from tonight contrasts outward versus inward spirituality, and I want to speak about both briefly. About outward spirituality, it's important to notice that Jesus is not against outward religion. Sometimes I see these very short TikTok clips about Jesus being in favor of relationship but against religion, That's not true though. I mean, I know it's catchy and like quippy, but it's not actually accurate. Jesus was actually a very religious person and involved himself in a variety of religious practices. And in fact, he appreciated fasting and praying and giving to the poor. That's why he uses the word when in this passage. When he describes the future anticipated behavior of his apostles, he's saying when you do these things, assuming that they would at some point. And Jesus himself Embrace these practices in his own behavior, right? He fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He prayed both in private and in public. And he gave of himself to help those in need on many, many occasions, more than we could number. And so Jesus isn't so much against religion or even outward practices of religion. He's against outward pretense that is disconnected from internal realities or often contradictory to internal realities. He doesn't like a show. He cancels our performances. He, he really seems to be especially antagonistic to the idea that we would do good things, mostly so that other people would be impressed, so that our mothers, our fathers, our children, our bosses, our subordinates, our uh, counselors, our pastors, our doctors would all be impressed with us uh he's critical of our using good things and good behavior to gain personal recognition friends i just want to say a word about recognition tonight and how dangerous it is our need our craving for recognition it can be a narcotic that takes the edge off of our insecurity our need for constant recognition Um, You know, do you see me? Do you understand what I contribute to this project? What I am to this team? Who I am in this company? What I am to this institution? Don't you understand what would happen if I left? Everything would fall apart, right? Don't we all wanna think we're kind of the indispensable cog that keeps the great machine going? Um, And very often, when we are not recognized, uh, it builds resentment. You know, why wasn't my name in the leaflet? Other people got thanked. I didn't get thanked, thanked in the leaflet. I've never gotten a standing ovation. Why wasn't my article chosen for publication? Why didn't I get the promotion? Why wasn't I selected for the team? Why didn't I make it into the grad program? Don't they know who they have here? And when I'm not recognized, it simply reifies my own insecurity that I don't really belong, I'm not really important, I don't really have the gifts, etc. But I think sometimes when we crave that public recognition in light of all the good things we do, we're actually functioning as atheists. That is to say, we're not being about God's kingdom, we're being about the empire of ego. We want the wrong eye contact. Jesus kept using the language in this passage of being seen, right? And Jesus concludes these three um, little teachings about prayer and almsgiving and fasting with these words. Remember, your Father sees you. That's a gospel word to us. Not God as a TSA agent, but when you do these things, when, when out of your heart these things are flowing, don't you know it is seen and appreciated and loved by somebody? It is important. It does matter. But just make sure you care about the right set of eyes that are on you, not the recognition of the world, which, by the way, will change in a New York minute. The minute you do something to cross them, or the minute something else takes their attention, you won't get the recognition anymore. More than that, if you crave recognition, it'll never be enough. There will never be enough audiences in the world to give you that kind of a claim to fill that need, that void. And so he's, he's warning us about outward religion and the, the kind of narcotic nature of needing to be recognized. And then he talks about sort of the inwardness, Of these things when you do things in secret because it's just your heart expressing itself to god when you do these things so that nobody knows who should get the credit because you know jesus believed that uh, sin um, and righteousness never really begin with action they begin in the chamber of the heart they begin in motives feelings thoughts the imagination the unseen universe of who you are well, the Old Testament agrees, unsurprisingly, with Jesus. He gets a lot of his ideas from that big chunk of scripture, believe it or not. And, uh, and the Old Testament uh, has this notion that um, external religion is fine so long as it's connected to and flows from the internal reality. But if it doesn't flow from the internal reality, not only does it not mean anything to God, it's an affront to God. Uh, and that's why Deuteronomy 10 uh, which is a great legal document, but it says this in a very um, invasive way. Circumcise not just your body, but your heart. It's 1 Samuel 16, when they were trying to choose a king, and people wanted the tall, handsome, ha- handsome lads, and God has another idea. He says, look, man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Right? Uh, Psalm 40, sacrifice you did not desire, but your law is written within my heart jeremiah 31 the proof of the new covenant landing in somebody's life is that the law will now be taken from tablets of stone and written on the fleshy tablets of the human heart that's why thomas cranmer the genius behind our prayer book uh, wrote in a prayer for the second sunday of advent that we would eat the bible do you remember the prayer that we would read mark learn and inwardly digest the word so that it would be fully part of us completely incarnated within us so jesus thought that true spiritual health is not no externals but that the external would flow from the internal and both would be an agreement that motives would match maneuvers that the insides would match the outsides enter ash wednesday ash wednesday has believe it or not deep deep bible roots Because in the Old Testament, it was very common to uh, visualize and physically demonstrate your inward condition. And so when people felt that they could see themselves honestly, when they hit their step 1 AA place of powerlessness, what did they do? Uh, They felt it on the inside, and they would often express it on the outside by taking um, mud or taking ash and smearing it into their skin. Now, why would they do such a thing? That sounds sort of um, barbaric, and uh, you know that's what people did in the Bronze Age when they didn't understand you know, how to communicate their feelings or something. Maybe and maybe not. If you understand what they were doing, they were actually um, tracing that impulse back to Genesis, because in the Genesis account, humanity was made from the material of the earth, right? Uh, and so it was a way to recognize mortality, uh, from dust we came and from dust we shall return. And so it was a way of remembering that physically with your body. And it was a, a way of uh, remembering also that you have been sooted. You're something about your nature has been polluted and you're demonstrating that on the outside of your body. That was what they did. That's really the reason we use ashes tonight is to remember two things. We are covered in frailty and we're covered in flaws. And that's true of everybody in this room. We're covered in frailty and we're covered in flaws. Frailty meaning mortality. That um, we are people of great dissipation, right? Everything dissolves. Our health dissolves. Um, Everyone we hug is withering. Everyone that we hate is withering. The institutions that we pour our life into uh, will not be what they are in 20 years. These things are in constant flux and constant change. Um, and very often the things that we want to hold on to the most uh, slip, slip away from us the easiest. And so we are, uh, we are frail and more frail than we could possibly ever imagine. And by the way, some of you know this because of sudden sickness in your life. Sudden illness will prove to you how uh, weak we all are, right? Because it only takes a very, very small, minuscule, microscopic virus to totally change your life in one day. Uh, But we're also more than frail, we're covered in flaws, and this is really the offensive word of Ash Wednesday, that we don't just have peripheral flaws, like you swear on occasion, or you enjoy a cigarette, or maybe one too many beverages um, of an adult nature. Uh, you know, peripheral problems. You know, one time you pushed your sister when she was 12, and she still remembers it. And, and um, remember that time that you yelled at your mom? And Those are peripheral problems, and they, they are real, but they're, they're, not, um, they're not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about grave issues. I'm talking about things that we hide. I'm talking about R-rated testimonies. I'm talking about real life tonight. Because Christianity is only effective if you actually square with your true self. Uh, and, and that's why we're here because Ash Wednesday is the day that we really have to stop blaming uh, the culture and we really have to stop blaming other people in our lives and we have to stop blaming the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the patriarchy or the forthcoming matriarchy or whatever else we want to say because all of those things Uh, have their place, and I'm not at all discounting the powerful and oppressive reality of negative contexts because those things are all very real and very powerful. That said, Ash Wednesday is not a day to focus on those things. It's a day to focus on ourselves because we, we, are the golden thread of all our problems. We are the least common denominator of all our crises. We are the chief saboteur. And so we really have to start asking serious questions about how it got this way. Sometimes our hearts get so needy, and I've heard this a lot, our hearts get so needy that we get addicted to hookup apps on our phones. It's amazing, by the way, how many people will take anybody to bed just so they can feel better about themselves for about 10 minutes. Uh, Or, friends, our parenting. Let's talk about our parenting for a second. Our parenting can be awful. Our parenting can be awful at times right we can turn a blind eye to what our kids are doing right under our very own roofs because we are so focused on other things we're so focused on the job we're so distracted by the phone we're so focused on money uh, that our kids can be running off the rails and we don't even see it or we binge drink until we buzz out night after night and we call it Christian Liberty and we sort of boast that we're not like the Baptists who feel guilty about drinking martinis, and we're free to drink martinis, and yet we're obliterating, our, obliterating ourselves with martinis. Or we're all smiley and happy and jokey at work, but then when we get home you know, to our haven, all of our pent-up rage kind of rifles out at the people that we say we love. Or we murder people with our venomous words We poison someone's good name and reputation, often behind their backs, of course, because we don't have the courage to face them. Um, By the way, when we do that to people, realize they may never recover. Or we've used uh, maybe our hands to hurt somebody, or our power to intimidate people into doing things that they would never do otherwise. Or we've compromised our convictions to appease this pharisaical, politically correct crowd. Or we walk like lemmings under the discolored banner of a cheap populism and call it Christianity. Or we're brazenly ungrateful for a life that has been so lavishly enriched with a million gifts from God, but we still find a million reasons to complain. Or we've made this horrific excuse that sometimes I've heard people say, whenever they're confronted, by somebody about a problem in their life. Well, they have to say, well, don't you realize who I am? This is just how I was born, deal with it. This is who I am, suck it up. Um, Quite a codicil to defend sin. And lastly, just simply pretense. We, We, so many of us, you know, we pretend to be strong all the time. It's kind of like a stoicism of sorts, but we pretend to be strong. We always say, well, I'm fine, even though we're not fine. I'm fine, we're fine, the family's fine, everybody's fine when we're not fine at all. So Ash Wednesday comes knocking at our door, every single one of us, whatever our problems, whatever our sins, and says essentially, cover yourself now in the lowest elements. Represent yourself physically, the way your heart has become conditionally. Um, And friends, I think the reason that sometimes religion doesn't feel real to us is because so often we're fake about those things and not honest about what's really going on in our own personal lives and the corridors of our hearts. And so Ash Wednesday has this very difficult message of publicly (coughs) acknowledge your frailty and publicly acknowledge your flaws. And no one wants to do that. In fact, the world is telling you just the opposite. Ash Wednesday runs completely uh, concurrently to the world. The world says, no, parade your power. Celebrate yourself, you're perfect in every way, just the way you are, except if you disagree with me, right? Um, But you're perfect, and the only monarch you have in your life is yourself. You're under your own self-rule and no other. Christians say no to that. We say that's ridiculous, stupid, and pathological, um, because it's obviously not true. We talk about sin in this place not because we hate ourselves but because we believe in our innate dignity and sin is an affront to our dignity and contrary to God's own design for us. So tonight we offer the opportunity to wear ashes on the outside as a public confession not as pageantry but as a public confession. In essence, we're saying the ashes on the outside represented eaten ashes within the inside. That is, we must receive the inward effect of those outward ashes. An effect and an admission that goes something like this I'm frail and I'm flawed, but one more thing. Those ashes will be made on your forehead tonight in the form of a cross, which means I may be frail, I may be flawed, but because of the love of another, I am forgiven as frail and as flawed known and loved at the same time uh, by the way that's the recipe for any spiritual renaissance the admission of frailty the admission of flaws and the admission of forgiveness a uh, story and then i'm done charles simeon one of my own personal heroes actually if we had a boy we've had three girls all marvelous but if we had a boy we were going to name the boy simeon after charles simeon Uh, one of my favorite english uh, clergymen born in 1759 in a wealthy family Uh, not very religious uh, kind of borderline agnostic anglicans back then at least his family was Um, but he he went to cambridge and uh, was interested in receiving communion which you had to do with the school um, in your third year uh, for whatever reason and he was trying to get serious about Christianity. So he tried a variety of devotionals to like, get him all stirred up and get him focused. And one of them was um, William Law. Uh, and William Law wrote a book called The Whole Duty of Man, which was, was in some ways thematically represented by his last name, William Law. Um, and if you ever want to be clinically depressed or neurotic beyond belief, read William Law or Jeremy Taylor, and it'll get you there pretty swiftly. Um, But the book uh, essentially made him much more neurotic and hated himself a great deal because he wasn't actually living up to anything that he was supposed to be doing. And so he was very impressive on the outside. People really liked him. He was very polite. He dressed well. He was a smiley guy. But on the inside was withering away, absolutely dying on the vine. And nobody knew it but him. And he's crying out to God saying, why am I like this? And then he wrote in his diary two weeks before Easter these words, I now look upon dogs with envy. Why? Because dogs aren't aware of their condition. They don't have a problem with over-conscientious, you know, introspection. And they also had never read William Law. Um, <laughs> additionally, additionally um, the date for receiving communion, that, that is Easter, was swiftly approaching. And he got very, very nervous about this. But then he had an insight, because somebody told him that the chief reason that Jesus came was for people like him, who were destroyed on the inside, but showing a different self on the outside. And he wrote these words in his diary next. What? May I transfer all my guilt to another? From that moment on, I sought to lay my sins on the sacred head of Jesus. And on Wednesday of Holy Week, I began to have hope of mercy, and on Thursday, it increased. And on Friday and Saturday, stronger still. And then on Sunday, April 4th, I awoke early, and the words were flowing from my lips, Jesus Christ is risen today. And from that hour, rich in my soul, a new peace flowed and I had the sweetest access to God through my beloved savior. Yeah. He became rector of Trinity Church Cambridge for 53 years. They hated him at first. They hated the gospel and they hated his biblical emphasis, but he loved them. They locked him out of the pulpit. They locked him out of the church. The vestry voted him down they threw garbage at him on the streets but he kept loving them year after year because he knew the love of jesus now and his outside was matching his inside yeah and then he wrote commentaries for every book of the bible and preaching outlines so that everybody could learn to preach and then he created missionary college societies and he sent missionaries anglican missionaries to africa the reason now that the average Anglican as a 22-year-old Nigerian woman is because of Charles Simeon, because he was changed on the inside by Jesus. And so the inside and the outside of the dish could be clean, yeah? Well, that's what I want for us tonight. I want us to eat the ashes, so to speak. That is, to internalize and digest the truth. And so tonight, I invite you to receive ashes on the outside, but only if you want what they represent to live on the inside of you. Free at last, Amen. They took your life. They